Hey everyone, it's Clarissa here from the Thriving Through Menopause podcast. You know, as I talk to women around the world, I know that more than ever, we're looking for holistic ways to manage our menopause and to feel empowered that we're in control of our own health and healing during this vital life transition. I sit down each week with amazing guests to talk about ideas, strategies, approaches, and opportunities to help us thrive through menopause. Episodes drop every Tuesday, so I hope that you'll join us. And I have a little request for you. If you find value from the stories, lessons, and wisdom that we share, I'd like you to support this podcast. One way you can do that is to hop on to wherever you listen to podcasts, like and subscribe, share it so that others can hear the messages too. You might want to buy me a coffee to help me keep this podcast up and running. And I'd love you to subscribe to my newsletter, Heart of Menopause, over on Substack. Don't forget, episodes drop every Tuesday, and I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being part of this community, listening to this podcast, and I hope that you enjoy the new content that's coming up this new season. Welcome to this week's episode of Thriving Through Menopause with me, Clarissa. I'm really looking forward to today's conversation because we get to sort of geek a little on Chinese medicine, <laughs> but not too much so you can't follow along. And I am absolutely delighted to be joined by Suzanne Yates. Welcome, Suzanne. Thank you, Clarissa. I, um, I'm looking forward to this as well, because it's always lovely to talk to people about Chinese medicine, but hopefully in a way that makes it accessible for people. That's kind of one of my ambitions. I think it's so valuable and important, but a lot of people don't understand it or get it or think it's a bit like, well, it was good for the ancient Chinese, but not for us. And I, my kind of passion is, well, yes, actually, there's lots that's really, really helpful still. Absolutely. I, I, I'm, I'm with you there that I think a lot of it is very relevant. To introduce you to my audience, of course, you are an acclaimed international therapist. You're a teacher, author, innovator and researcher in this space of Chinese medicine and women's health. Um, I'd love you just for this stage to share a little bit about your own journey, because we talked about it before we came on air, but your own journey from working with maybe pregnancy through to now your interest in perimenopause and menopause? Yes, um, because menopause, my interest in the menopause has become through my own menopause, but my interest in Chinese medicine, I got interested in it very young. I'd just finished university. I'd finished studying French and Italian, not very related to Chinese medicine, but I found that they were just really, they really spoke to me through my body because I'd been very much in my head before. And they gave me tools because the aspect of Chinese medicine I work with is shiatsu, which is touch. I actually had acupuncture to start with. I'd had a kidney infection when I was at university. And I found the needles, it helped, but I didn't really like the needles. So the practitioner in the clinic said, well, why don't you try shiatsu? I'd never heard of shiatsu and I know a lot of people still haven't. And I thought that was a bit weird, but it just so much helped me with my kidney infection, with just feeling so much better in myself. And I just started studying it 
for me, really, a bit like doing yoga or qigong or something like that. And then I ended up doing more and more training. And then I was a practitioner. So I started working. And then I started seeing a mix of different kinds. Some women who were pregnant, but I saw women and men. But then I became pregnant myself and realized how much it was really helpful for me during my pregnancy, but also how much fear there was around working with pregnant women with not just with touch. Shatsu basically is is physical work on the acupuncture points, but it's a bit like what you're you, you we were talking about, you doing you know, with Qigong, you're touching, you're working the meridians, you're working the body. In Shatsu, it's a lot with pressure, but we also use stretches. There are some more like massage techniques. And we also work a lot with giving our clients movements and exercises so that they support themselves. So they're not just coming to have a, a Shatsu and then go away and do whatever they did that made them want to come and have a Shatsu in the first place. But we're giving them tools that they can use in their day-to-day lives. And with when I was pregnant, I felt that, well, people just seemed to be scared of working with me. And they're like, well, I can't touch the abdomen and I can't do this. And, oh, you're going to be giving birth in hospital. And I was like, well, no, I'm going to have a home birth because my mum was actually always really positive about birth. And I just thought, oh, but you give birth at home. Surely birth is a natural thing. So it led me to really learning a lot more about pregnancy and birth, both from a Chinese point of view, but also from a Western point of view. And that's why I eventually, 10, 12 years later, started teaching professionals, especially midwives, because they were really keen on like, oh, all the stuff that you know, it would be really helpful for every woman to have access to this. Um, But initially in Bristol, I started basically just working with Shatsu for women giving them shatsu. But in order to learn more about pregnancy, I actually went to America to study with an obstetric physiotherapist called Elizabeth Noble. I don't know if she's so well known now. This was like in 1990. Mm -hmm. And she gave me a really good physiological Western understanding of the body. And then I was able to link it with Chinese medicine. So my perspective on Chinese medicine is very much based in the physical reality of the body as a starting point and then all the other stuff linking in to that. And then as I went through my life and went through my menopause or perimenopause, I got more clients. I think it's often that where you get where you're at in your life, you tend yeah. to attract clients <laughs> who are going through similar things. Yeah. And and actually my my perimenopause, I I really enjoyed it. I didn't have a lot of the issues. And I'm sure it's because I had been working with Shatsu for myself. Because as you know, in Chinese medicine, as the practitioner, you you have, especially in Shatsu, I often say to people, I'm the needle in a way. I'm using my body to work with you. So my body, I have to look after my body. So ever since I was in my 20s and through my pregnancies, I had to look after my body. And so I'm sure that really helped with my own menopause. And I found it quite a liberation, in fact. And, a diff- and I, I found it relatively an easy stage of my life. Whereas before I'd been pregnant, my whole menstrual history and periods, and it was really, really horrible. 
my mum even called periods the curves. So mm. that's the point. So I mean, I, I had a lot of menstrual pain and issues, yeah. which I'm sure was really helped by shatsu. And so, I'm, and I'm sure that's partly why the menopause for me was relatively easy because I'd spent like the last 30 years of my life working on getting my body healthy. So it wasn't like it needed to be a wake up for me, but I began to realize how much of what I was working with pregnancy and shatsu, how helpful it was for the menopause and started using that with my work with women. Wow. And I think that really reflects that menopause is not as I think it gets seen here in the West. I mean, it's just sort of like we're suddenly in this phase, but actually it is a continuation of our life, a part of our life cycle. And it does depend, doesn't it, Suzanne, on what we have done previously in, in our lives in terms of how well we've taken care of ourselves um, in whatever way that manifests for us. It, and rather than something, I'm in menopause now and it's like nothing else has done that. We're not prepared for it then, are we? I completely agree because it can be, it's, it's really quite like a wake-up call, I think. And it's like anything that we haven't sorted out. It, it's a sort of bit of not totally dissimilar to birth in that way because I always found that with birth. I mean, obviously... Birth is, is only over a period of hours or days. But it, birth is quite an intense version of that. I think anything that you've not kind of dealt with can block you giving birth. And the menopause, it's over a much longer period of time, if you include the whole perimenopause phase. In Chinese medicine, we often say that it's two cycles of jing or essence, which we might yeah. want to talk yeah. about. But yes. have cycles in, the, in our life which for women are seven-year cycles when our bodies change. And we can talk more about that. But just to say that, you know, the whole perimenopause is quite a long phase of time. And it's like anything that we haven't sorted out is now time we're offered an invitation, we're offered an opportunity to sort it out so that we can move into the next phase of our life post-menopause, which in, in ancient Chinese medicine, our natural span of life was considered to be a hundred years. Yeah. So the menopause, if you talk about when our periods stop, is around about 50. That's only halfway through our lives. So it, it makes sense that, and I talk about birth, birth, I, I referred to birth, but in Chinese medicine, we're birthing ourselves. So instead of birthing a baby or another being, it's an opportunity to rebirth ourselves to become a different or different or a more mature version of the person that we were before. We're not going to completely change, of course, but it's an opportunity to rebirth ourselves and, and to prepare ourselves for the next half of our lives. And I think people often don't realize that as well. That's why so many things can come up because anything could be stopping us from living a healthy second half of our life is there to be dealt with. And, and like when we have a baby, when we first have a new baby, it feels completely overwhelming. And like, however much we think we're prepared for it, we're not. But it's very, very intense over maybe six months or one year postnatally. But the menopause is very intense, but over a longer period of time. So I, that, that's why I talk about birth, because I think 
there are quite a lot of parallels between giving birth to another and giving birth to ourselves. But the menopause is much longer process, the perimenopause, and the, the phase afterwards, it's preparing us the rest of our lives. Yeah. And I think that's why it's, you're right. It's why we feel so shaken up by it, isn't it? And I think a lot of us haven't prepared or don't prepare until we're really in the midst of it and it's starting to feel overwhelming. Yeah. And that maybe an interesting point of view is that that's why it feels so hard as well, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. we've not, we've carried on trying to live as if we were. 20 or 30 and we're not and so it all come, and we don't deal with things we just motor on particularly in the modern world we motor on we're like yeah. on a conveyor belt and we don't realize that we have to somehow stop adjust clear things out and as you said move to the next stage yeah but when we talked about those cycles talk a little bit more about the seven-year cycle so listeners who are not familiar with this seven times seven cycle of, of womanhood pre the rebirth of yeah on the other side of menopause <laughs> what they actually are and, and the significance of those aspects for perimenopause yeah the chinese and probably even if you don't know much about chinese medicine you've heard of the 12 meridians and the 24 hour cycle of energy the daily clock the circadian rhythm whatever you want to call that and that's what a lot of the text or a lot of popularization of Chinese medicine is about that. But there's another, there's this longer cycle, which is basically related to our physical and emotional and spiritual growth, to how we grow, to how we mature, to how we might or might not reproduce, and to how we then age. And for women, it's, it's cycles of seven years. And for men, it's cycles of eight years. Is it worth me maybe briefly explaining from the beginning? Because the yes. first seven yeah. years is really childhood and innocence. Mm -hmm. So we're very connected to our families. In traditional societies, the child would be looked after within the extended family. And then when we get to about seven, I think everybody agrees. We, we become, we're a bit more grown up. We have a bit more independence, obviously not totally, but there's a, there's a marking phase. And maybe some people know about Steiner education, Rudolf Steiner, anthroposophical. He was very influenced by Chinese medicine. And, and in the Steiner kindergartens, children often stay there. It's till about seven, isn't it? Yes. And Six, that's the seven, same seven. as in Scandinavia. Yeah. Children don't go to school formally until they're seven. Yeah. Which, which is really interesting, isn't it? That it's not just within ancient Chinese medicine, but this seven-year cycles, the seven-year rich. It's a bit more developed in Chinese medicine because they say for men it's actually eight years and that men take a little bit longer to grow. So at seven years, we've achieved a certain level of physical and emotional maturity, but of course we haven't finished stopping growing. And so the next cycle... Is 14 years. And, and it is important to realize it's not just suddenly at seven years, everything changes. That's not how our body is. And in terms of the menopause, it's not suddenly everything changes. It's, it's a continuum. So it's just longer cycles. And so around about seven years, and it's going to be slightly different for each person. So it might be a bit before it's, it's 
and a bit after, but there's a shift. And the next book is 14. So you can see already where I'm going with this. 14 is adolescence. We're in our puberty, and that is a big change. And the Chinese also talk about gateways within these or points of transformation, and that birth is a point of transformation, how we're born affects us. But then how about I'm talking about rebirth, there's a, a, a chance to be reborn also in our adolescence. It's a time that we can choose to leave home. We're becoming to question our parents' belief systems and our identity. We may identify with them, we may not. So there's a whole lot of changes going on. And again, you can see 14, it's not just at 14. It's a bit before, it's a bit after. In different cultures, it's different times. But it's just a cycle. And, and for boys, it's 60. So by 14, we would probably have had our first menstrual period. They measured it by menstruation. In, in traditional cultures, the first menstruation was actually later than it is now. So, I mean, that's also what's changing is that young girls are having to deal with the emotional aspects of their physical body to much younger age than in traditional cultures and maybe without support of the family and with all the influence of social media and everything. It's quite a lot. Yeah. But um, 14 and then for boys it's 16. And we know that boys' adolescence, puberty is after girls and that we often say girls mature earlier. And then the Chinese recognize that. And then we go through our cycles. So there's that's a big gateway of transformation, puberty. And how we lived our puberty is going to have another, is, is going to have quite a strong impact on the rest of our life, especially our sexuality, of the sexual experience, how comfortable or uncomfortable, how wanted or not wanted. That's going to imprint quite deeply. And I pause on these things because they're often issues that do come up at the menopause, aren't they? Our they are. to who yes. we are, what are we doing? And that's why partly it can be so uncomfortable. And maybe remembering that potentiality of adolescence when, or, or maybe we were already traumatized by adolescence. Maybe well, our yeah. sexual experience yes. was before we were ready. Maybe we were abused. And, and childhood abuse, especially sexual abuse, has a really strong impact. And, and maybe it's that that we're having to deal with yes. in the menopause. Yes. But then going through the cycles, the Chinese would say, like, the Oh, we haven't talked about the essence. It's related to something called essence. But if, if we think of the cycles, they'd say that the next one is 21. Yeah. That's really we're pretty much physically developed by 21, aren't we? There's some things that happen within our brain and other things that happen, but we're an adult at 21. So for the Chinese, that would be more adult. And so for men, it's 24. And, and they would say in some ways that can be peak fertility because our energy, it, it, it's an energy that's called essence. It's our, the energy that supports growth, reproduction and development. In its physical aspect, it's, quite, it's at its strongest in a way when we're 21 or between 21 and 28. But between 28 and 35, it's still quite strong. And that's really fascinating because we know um, from modern science that around 35 for women and 40 for men, so it's yep. five cycles of seven or five cycles of eight, our physical 
fertility, our capacity to have children already starts declining. But it depends on the strength of this this essence, this gene, what we've inherited, how we've lived our life till then, what our capacity for reproduction is. But certainly the next cycle, 35 to 42, many women can conceive naturally and have easy pregnancies and births. But certainly after 42, there's, and, and that's reflected in success of IVF yes. and things yes. like that. After four, it's interesting though, it's those similar ages, isn't it? It is. It is. It is. 42. And then by 49, that next cycle, we're really getting into the men's Well, 42 to 49 is really the whole perimenopausal ages, but it can happen earlier for some women. It can be already from 35. Mm. But that's what I think about Chinese medicine is really helpful. And maybe now you're saying about people not being prepared for the menopause. I think I always was because I understood about these cycles. Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Exactly. Now, now, but I, but I would resist it because obviously there's a tendency. (laughs) We want to feel we're always twisting in some way. Ah, 35. I still felt okay at 35, 42, 49. And then even with all that knowledge, I still resisted a bit the menopause and felt I had to, I wanted to carry on. I feel I needed also, even though I've done all this work on myself, to find a slightly different way to fine tune. Yes. And then we know 49 to 56. By in that say in that cycle, uh, we will have stopped menstruating. Yes, most women will have stopped menstruating by then in that sort of in that window of those seven years, mm. and then that's really interesting, isn't it, in Suzanne? In that phase, how often Chinese medicine talks about this is a time to reflect and 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 rest and restore, whereas before we may be doing more active management of chaos at times if you're not prepared but it's really interesting that instead of what I see in the popular western narratives oh menopause now we're in second spring I don't think they've really understood what the Chinese texts have been saying Chinese medicine has understood that there is this this period of real rebirth and it's not just an instant step into second spring which I see floating around on on social media Actually, you're right, because I, I thought second spring, yes, the Chinese did call it the second spring, but it's a different spring. It's not like, oh, yes, we can go back to being a teenager or an adolescent. It's a more mature spring. And like you say, sometimes it can be, mis- that term can be misapplied in a way. People think, oh, yeah, I'm going to zing into this whole new positive way of being. And it's actually... It doesn't mean that everything, we're forever in spring because actually that spring turns to summer and then to autumn and then to winter. And I actually had an interesting conversation the other day because I'm curious about now post-menopause and that it's really quite a long time, isn't it, from if in Chinese 50 to 100. And we're preparing... For death, but we're not at 50, obviously preparing for death. But I think it's important to think it's not 
it's not just about having a sudden next surge of energy that we're going to be able to carry on as we were and still do everything. It becomes a much slower cycle and a much more gradual process of maturing and reflecting and shifting and changing. And it doesn't just happen from one day or one month to the next. It's probably a year. I mean, it's years. years. Yes, years and years. And I think what we, what I see as this postmenopausal phase being in it myself is that it is about living longer well, but yeah. not always about your age. It's this mm-hmm. sense of longevity in Chinese medicine it is, is, is less tied to the actual number and much yes. more tied to the sort of quality of life that we have mm-hmm. um, in this time. And you, you see the changes in diet and their movements and work that older Chinese people do, mm. practitioners particularly do, which means that they're still actively participating in, mm. in life and communities, the role of grandparents, if there are grandchildren, mm. uh, just super interest, super, super interesting and a lot to learn there that I don't think we've yet even begun to unpack fully here in the, in the West. I agree. I think it's still a bit presented the menopause when you get past the menopause and then you can kind of almost do what you want again. But it's not, it's, it's like you say, it's another stage. It's preparing, living well, living long is, is a phrase. I can't remember how, it, how it's said in Chinese medicine, but it's, it's that you still have to keep looking after yourself and you also still have to keep recognizing. This is the thing about the jing or the essence that your yeah. basic core energy, that's probably the simplest way of saying it, it's kind of, it is a bit like your DNA, isn't it? But it's more that DNA. It's the whole emotional patterning. It's our epige- epigenetics in a way. Yes. It's how we're affected by our environment. So it's not only who our parents are, but how we've lived in our lives. But that, and this is the bit I think that in modern society, there's a, a resistance to that it will eventually run out. And we will eventually die. Yeah. And, and to accept that. So preparing for death, I don't mean to be, you know, negative, but it's actually just accepting that our essence is actually getting less. So when I talk about the seven years, 35 is peak physical essence. And that's not even, that's not even halfway through our life. And so we do need to recognize that in our physicality, our essence is gradually going to decline. And but we can still live well if we adapt to our life, um, what we can do in our life. And mm. we're not constantly wanting to be younger, but we really truly accept. And I'm still struggling with that. I mean, struggling maybe is too short a word, but it, it, it takes time, doesn't it? And I'm yeah, sure that's why there's then 50 years, because hopefully we're not going to die when we're 50. No. And I know the older people that I know, I've known people that are really well into their 80s. And so yes. they're not preparing for death. You're not preparing for death as it were, but you're slowly, subtly shifting so that, you know, hopefully, like you said, in your 80s, maybe even in your 90s, you can still be contributing to society, but not in the same way that you were when you were in your 30s or 40s or 50s, maybe even in your 60s. And I think it's that big picture that yeah. sometimes is missing from our narrative on the menopause. Def- definitely. And I think that's a much more hopeful picture 
Mm. Um, and a much more attainable picture from an emotional and spiritual perspective mm. um, that to see that there is so much value that we can give, but it's not necessarily identical to what we've done earlier. We're not trying to reproduce that. We're becoming a new person, as you said, rebirthing. Yeah. I'm so excited to announce that my new book, Beyond Hormones, Seven Holistic Ways to Thrive Through Menopause, comes out on the 1st of March. And I would love to offer each of you, my listeners, the opportunity to get the early access. For those of you that sign up in the first weekend of launch, I'm going to be offering an additional free masterclass on managing your mindset in menopause as part of the book launch. So if you would like to be there, get on the list and get the early access, then do go to the link that's going to be in the show notes. And I cannot wait for you to be part of the workshop, but also to have this book and to know that you can thrive through menopause. We talked a, a bit about, well, how do we actually then begin to, to work with our bodies? And I know an area of Chinese medicine you focus on is something called extraordinary vessels. But what are extraordinary vessels? Because <laughs> for people out here going, oh my goodness, what's this? Without, you know, okay, and, and how can we do things that can support ourselves? How do they work within supporting us through perimenopause and menopause? Yeah, I'm trying to think how much detail to go into these extraordinary vessels. But um, often the way I say it as simply is if you know the 12 meridians and you know the organs of the 12 meridians, you probably realize, well, where's the brain? There isn't a brain meridian. And also yeah. where are our reproductive organs, our sexual organs, our wound, my ovaries? Yeah. That's because... They're much more linked with the cycles that we've been talking about, which are essentially from a more science, uh, from one point of view, it's a neuroendocrine changes. It's changes in our brain, in our nervous system, in our hormones. And that's what's going on throughout our lives. And that's essentially what the extraordinary vessels are more about regulating that aspect. Where they are, uh, well, we were talking about that at the beginning, and I think a lot of people are aware of the importance of the vertical midline, the connection between the brain and the pelvic floor and the spine and the nervous system. And if you do yoga, I mean, essentially, it's the chakra system, the extraordinary vessels, because it's not just a line, it's a broad, a broad area in our midline, which has more spiraling movements within it. And those are the, the most fundamental of the extraordinary vessels. Some of you may have heard of the names of them, the conception vessel and the governing vessel. And they run from our perineum um, up the front and up the back of the body to our mouth. Yep. And their last points are at our mouth and they enter into our brain, connect with our heart and our reproductive organs. So... Connecting, I mean, you, you, I know you do work with touch, just touching a lot. Yes, line. 
doing exercises for the pelvic floor stimulator, doing any kind of spinal stretchings and movements. Um, that's how you can work with them. A lot of Qigong actually works, because I know you do Qigong, works with this, this, this core energy. But in fact, also, so does yoga. Most yoga is based on what's going on in the spine, even if they don't talk about the chakras. And so Chinese medicine actually fits in. They, they're all very close areas, aren't they? India, China, yeah. Japan, yes. Tibet. And there's yes. so much that is very similar, even if they give it different names. I often say to people, it's that they're going to have different maps, but they are essentially talking about the same, the same stuff. Yeah. So it's really, um, how do we support this central, central channel? Because there's governing and conception. There's also yeah. another one called yeah. penetrating vessel each sign. It's really anything. And, and we know that, that a lot of times as people get older, or they're weaker, they might get problems in their spine. They might get, you know, issues in the brain, nervous system, overactive, underactive, hormonal imbalances. And it's, it's all of that and more because it's also about our basic connection. You know, if you think of root chakra, the perineum, earth, yes, where we are in our body, but the balance between that and the top of this central channel, our brain, then our connection into space. And, uh, you know, our more bigger picture sense of like the longer time frames, the movements of the celestial bodies, the sun and the moon, but yes. also why are we here? What are we mm. doing in this physical body yeah. in this lifetime? So it's a way of really addressing all those central core issues physically, but also emotionally and spiritually. I don't know if you want to add any other no, I think I think we get a sense we get a sense of this sort of balance. I mean, I've done yoga too, and and often you'll see things identified as sort of rings of energy, but they start inside ourselves and move outward. And some of the qigong work I do is also about connecting the two vessels through meditation and movement, and then seeing how you expand out your 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 energy field from that. They're all kind of connected to to those kinds of Concepts that anybody who's done yoga kind of has a little bit of a sense to it. And we work with particular points, as you said, you know, we've got a we've got various points and by the way at the top and then the third eye, and we work with our heart centers and our throats yeah. and, and down to our middles and down to the perineum. And it, I think we recognize those as important parts of our bodies too. And as you said, I do pressing techniques that sort of start about here and we press all the way sort of various you know every so move down through the in between the intercostals and obviously there are very important points all the way down and then obviously the other meridian that goes around us here in the the sort of vessel that goes around here is the what i call the belt meridian um it goes from the belly button around to the back and back again we press along there as ways to release tension and to stabilize ourselves um, emotionally as well. But I was going to say that it's not just physical. And when you were saying about the throat and the eyes, it's, it's yes, it's, it is physical as well, but it's also like, how do we see in our eyes? But how do we see where we're going? What's our vision in life? Where do we yeah. want to be in five years or 10? And our throat is, are we able to express who we are? Because actually sometimes that's some, a realization that comes in the menopause, isn't it? Yeah. Um, 
actually, have I really connected with who I am or have I been doing things because, especially for women, to please other people or because I think I should? And, and, and I think, I find that a lot with people I've worked with in the menopause, they just reach a point of like, actually, I'm just, just too tolerant. I don't have the tolerance of doing things where I'm not respecting myself anymore. It takes up too much energy. And I really want finally to speak my truth. It's all about that as well. Yes. And then express my heart. And, 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 and as we all know, a lot of women in the menopause leave relationships that they might have been in for a really long time. It's like, finally, I just want to be, even if I'm not with somebody else, I just want to feel that my heart is more supported. But then, of course, all the digestive issues, our connection with the earth and all of that, it works on all those different levels. Just for the belt channel, I have to say, that's something that is actually included in yoga, but not so directly. In Chinese medicine, the word I, the translation I actually prefer for it, the Chinese words of Dai Mai, the girdle vessel, because the belt, a belt is quite narrow, isn't it? Whereas actually the girdle vessel, the bottom of it is our pelvic floor. So again, often in the menopause, when we get issues with weak pelvic floor and leaking urine, so yeah. sex, sexuality. Yes. But also the top of the girdle vessel is really our, our ribs and our diaphragm. Mm. And so it's quite broad. It is yeah, like the girdle. Yes. And so it's giving support for all this core stuff. And therefore then on the difference between the left and the right, our capacity to change and to move, mm-hmm. the change direction yes. as well as regulating everything within the pelvis. It's also about... It's the center of our body because yes. that's the thing also, I think, a bit that maybe with sometimes when people focus on the chakra system only, yes, they talk about base chakra and anchoring, but in Chinese medicine, the legs and the feet. Ooh, yes. I know in yoga postures, in yoga actual practice, it is included, but in the theory, it's often more about the chakras, whereas in Chinese medicine, in the theory, there's also an extraordinary vessel that runs through our legs, that goes into our feet, that connects us to the earth. So there is a very um, anchoring quality and, and also in Qigong, yes. we're standing. So we actually get a connection to earth through our perineum and the base chakra. Yeah. But it's also really important to be standing and getting yeah. a connection through our feet. Yeah. And again, in our society, a lot of people don't stand enough. They're just sat in chairs standing and how we walk and the qigong and the tai chi yeah. and if you're in china or japan you see people in their 80s doing their qigong and their tai chi because yeah. they know that it's even more important as you age to look after your body well yeah. Yeah. Less and to have and to have a good posture posture is mm. a, a central core to qigong but you know being able to stand grounded through your feet mm. And of course, you do that in yoga. You spread your toes out, yeah, and, yeah. and you stand. You in in you stand on the balls of your feet. You don't stand on your heels and stand on your bones. You stand on the muscles. Mm. And people yeah. will say to me in class, "Oh, my legs are really tired." And I thought, mm, "You've been standing on your muscles. You're actually working your body." Yeah. But yeah. that's the strengthening part. And of course, we know that as we've had a guest on here, we talked a lot about trips and falls and osteoporosis, yeah. and a lot of a lot of that is because we haven't developed a strong stable posture 
And so when we're a bit wobbly and when we're older, we tend to hunch over a bit, then, then we have that unfortunate that we fall and that's the start of osteoporotic fractures. Mm-hmm. So Chinese medicine there again in, in recognizing the importance of the feet recognizes the, um, the importance of the stability and what it brings again physically and then also emotionally because we're not so easily pushed over if we're grounded to the earth or pushed around we stand our ground a bit yeah exactly it's all completely connected isn't it and it also in Qigong there are a lot of balancing exercises aren't there like standing on one leg and that's really quite important that we can balance and we learn to find balance in our posture and therefore balance in our life a balance between connect being connected to the earth and day-to-day things but being also connected to longer flows of time and to even celestial flows of time it's all really fundamental and I, I agree with the you know we don't have to fall more and have osteoporosis yes there are lots of things that you can do with diet so and diet is also really important in Chinese medicine and I know that diet is quite an important part of your work on what yeah. you eat yes so I won't go on about that because you I know you've covered that quite a lot but remember it is all interconnected how we eat what we eat how we breathe so breathing is definitely within Qigong but, but then also how we move and how we can adapt and how we adjust constantly that relationship they talk about heaven and earth, but earth and space. And, and yeah. if we can do that and we still keep our balance, then of course we're not going to fall over as much. And if we keep falling over, then we're going to have fractures and all those kind of problems. Mm-hmm. So for me, if someone already in their fifties is getting fractures, that's showing there's a real weakness in what we call the essence because the yes. essence yes. is very linked with our bones and the quality of our bones. The Chinese talk about that quite a lot, but you have to use them. If you're just sitting all the time and walking a bit, you're not really engaging your bones. So it's, yes, it's the connection to the earth, but it's also, yeah, having weight through your bones, nourishing the bones and movement and diet and breath. That's all about supporting our bones. But then, as you say, if we can stand and balance, that's being able to express who we are. Yeah. So everything... Everything fits together, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> That's really interesting. So if, for example, somebody was listening to this and I think, well, extraordinary vessels, how do I do something about that? Are there any simple exercises, Suzanne, that people could do to heal and support themselves that maybe are centered around the extraordinary mm-hmm. vessel that they could even do? seated even though we would normally oh, seated. yeah I mean I'm yeah. a really simple one is well first of all with the Chinese really to first come into your center mm-hmm. into your girdle vessel because we were saying about breath a lot of people don't really breathe fully do they no. I'm sure you know that but you have to really breathe people to feel yeah. that they're not just moving their lungs and they're not just in their mm-hmm. upper body so a, a really simple thing is to just put a hand on your lungs and a hand on your lower abdomen and relax the rest of the body around it, like you say. You don't want to be having tension in your arm. But really just come into an awareness of this midline and of how it feels. You're sitting, your perineum is connected more to the earth, and then your hand is more to... But really to take time to breathe slowly, 
and deeply is the most simple because there's no point doing lots of other exercises. But then also just stand. Standing is important. I mean, I think some sitting exercises are good, but because people sit so much, then I can just describe them. You know, if you're standing, but yeah. if people are listening, they could stand. And then just no, no spine over, simply mm. curling mm. down the spine. But have mm. everything in Chinese medicine, really the idea is everything starts from the center, yeah. which is our navel, yeah. our lower down tian, three thumb widths below the navel, our lower back. In the lumbar, in the lumbar area. So actually just maybe when you're first starting to do these things, have two hands there and then just slowly curl over and let the hands relax. Take your time and really let the whole spine lengthen with your head down. Yeah. And then slowly come in up. But another thing to, to work that connection with your legs, which is important, is just to stand. There's another pair of extraordinary vessels called the stepping vessels. So like you say, how you stand is important, but also how you walk and how you move is important. But even then, when you're standing, practice lifting one leg up and pausing so you're balancing. So that balancing is an important way, just to stand and then lift the leg up. Then an even more challenging thing is stand and lift a leg up with your eyes closed. That I mean, I try and do that every day. I mean, there's complex other exercises yeah. you can yeah, do, yeah. yoga exercises, qigong, but literally just stand on one leg with your eyes closed. And you can feel that in the brain and you feel how it actually works your whole body and it's about creating adaptation. So that's another thing. So midline. And then your legs, how you stand and how you walk, but also how you balance, especially with your eyes closed. So another thing, people walk a lot, but do they pay attention to how they walk and how much the speed, the rhythm, or they calm, or they walk, or they... So if you walk, maybe spend time each day walking in the countryside, if you can, or at least in a park, if you're in the town, so that you're walking in connection with nature, and that helps you get the bigger picture as well, I think. Yes. In nature, a tree, something like that. But the other thing that's really important to balance that connection with the earth are our arms. Because so many women in the menopause, and that was actually, for me, my main menopausal symptom. I fell off my bike and I hurt my shoulder, and then I got kind of frozen shoulder. And that really was like a wake-up. My wake-up call was falling off my bike and realising it took me about a year before my shoulder got back hmm. its ability. Yes. And that's, there's another pair of the extraordinary vessels, our arms like our wings. And, and again, in Qigong, a lot of the movements are based on you know, really relaxing your yep. arms and not holding tightness in your shoulders. Yep. So a really simple thing is just lifting your arm. I remember once I went to Qigong class and literally had to have our, hold our arms above our head for about an hour. And the only way I could do that was to really... I have all these images of my arms being supported or like a puppet being held mm -hmm. up with strength, but to really relax. Because if you're tightening yeah, yeah. your muscles, then you're never going to hold them up for an hour. No. But if you relax them, then an hour is still quite a lot and you could maybe move them up and down a little bit. But just 
really also that balance with the arms and not holding lots of tension in the shoulders and really just exploring movements with the arm. And if you can do that basic, oh, yes, yeah, sorry, and the other one, the pelvis, rotational movements. Yes. And then you can kind of explore with those. Did I go through that too quickly? Or No, I think you... those are really good things. I mean, certainly, yes, balance and learning to stand in a balanced way, as you said, lifting up your feet. Um, some people who've listened to this podcast have probably heard me talk about the uh, Zhang Zhuang, which is a very slow way of moving in Qigong, incredibly slow, and learning to walk really slowly like that. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're, you're walking like nine steps, and then you turn around, you walk another nine, and you mm-hmm. keep doing those back and forth. My teacher, one of my teachers, loves those. <laughs> loves, loves teaching those. But you're right. And then obviously the spine and the moving of the of the pelvic area, really, really important. And they, they don't have to be terribly hard to do. Being free here, I'm sure, Susan, you find a lot of women are very tight in the in the hip and the pelvic area, um, partly through sitting, but partly through through aging as well, and being able to free those up. Um, and what about knees? Often, you know, focus a bit knees. on knees as well. Knees as they link to the kidney system. Yeah. yeah, knees. So that's why I think that you know that um, standing and balancing is actually quite good for the knees or load supporting leg. That was another injury I had because <laughs> I I like to keep quite active, but I was skiing and I fell. I hurt my knee. I didn't have to have any surgery. But I realized how much, when I did one-legged positions, how much that actually worked my knee. I, I always did a lot of cycling. Cycling's yeah. quite good for knees. If you, but standing, balancing works the knee quite a lot. Also swimming. If people yeah. like swimming, swimming is really good. I found, I thought my knee had recovered and then I went swimming. It was like, oh, because it, it gets all the little tendons and ligaments and everything around the knees. Because I... The way I do shatsu is traditionally done on the floor. Yeah. So when I'm doing shatsu, I'm a lot um, kneeling on the floor, working with my knees. So I have to make sure I look after my knees. And I actually find for me, this goes with the stepping vessels. The last couple of years I've started running, not a huge amount, like maybe five kilometers, but I do that every day. And I find that really there's something about that rhythm. And I feel that that's important to keep the strength in my bones, to keep the blood flowing, to keep the um, to keep them growing and developing and being strong. And, and it's something that I'm not hopefully going to fall as well. No, but walking I found on its own didn't feel like quite enough. But and I don't run in a vigorous way; just gentle running, twenty minutes, something like that, and that's fine for my hips. If I run a lot more. Than about half an hour, 40 minutes, I find my pelvis is just a bit too much for my pelvis. Yeah. But I think for each person to find what makes them feel good, for other people, it can be swimming. If people like swimming, it's really good. Anything that we're really using our body or, or Qigong, but I like Qigong, but I also like to do quite physical. And I know there were yeah. very physical forms of Qigong. They're often taught more as a job. I also like to do quite strong physical things, but, but respecting my body. So each day, if I feel a bit more tired, I do a few more gentle things if I've got a bit more energy. But I think that's the thing that people maybe don't do enough of is just 
really paying attention to their body every day. And really, I did at least half an hour, if not more, of doing some form of physical activity. But yeah. probably not necessarily going to the gym because often people, depends how they go to the gym and what they do. But especially as we age, it's really important to listen to our body, isn't it? And not push ourselves. Yes. Yes. Not to do too much. And to do it with awareness. I suppose it's doing it with awareness. We can kind of extend ourselves if we're listening to our body, but we don't want to be doing things that cause us pain or tire us out. No. No. And that's what Qigong is really a moving meditation. It is. It, it, is. Mm. It, it definitely is. I think those are so so really doable forms of things that we can be doing. Movements in our own home. Just taking time out where we're waiting for a kettle to boil, while we get up from our desk and do some stretching. Maybe just the the coming forward and then pulling out, coming back up. We can stand on one leg. We get, there's there's ample opportunity yes. throughout the day to weave these kinds of practices mm. in, and they're doing us good. Yeah, and remember arms, especially arms. if you sit at desk mm. a lot, but yeah. not you know not just more, up, but um, doing it with awareness, like oh, I do a lot I of these really ones where we yeah. rotate, and and of course you go within your own limitations mm. yeah. one at a time. And obviously, some people can only go to here, but that's okay. Yeah, yeah. kind of come yeah. to here eventually, and you can use the breath, and you can start to open up shoulders. Yeah, yeah. Um, in doing that, and those sort of things are very are very easy to, mm. for us to do, and they can be more or less vigorous depending on our Okay, exactly. It's it's about listening in to ourselves, isn't it? And not comparing ourselves with other people and what other people. (laughs) No, say if you can only do a small movement, then you just do your small movement, and that's what your body needs. And accepting your body, indeed. Suzanne, if you had to leave my listeners with one key message, what would it be? From your experience. See. Listen in. Somehow. Listen into yourself and really feel what you need. Um, Now, listening in, there's different ways of doing that because some people find like closing their eyes and being still maybe isn't that helpful. But you can be listening in while you're going on a walk. Or you could be listening in by standing by a tree. But it's about finding whatever helps you to feel more connected with yourself. I think. I think that's a great piece of advice in the, in the noisiness of our lives to, mm. to learn to listen in. Mm. Sam, where can people connect with you and the work that you do? Yeah, I, have a, I actually have a YouTube channel. Um, I can give you the link for that because I'm at, I'm done creating more videos now. It used to be more about my professional training, and now I I feel I want to share more things with non. I mean, a lot of my work is so I teach, but it's been more for massage therapists, shiatsu practitioners, and midwives. But now I feel well. Actually, I just want to share some of the knowledge I've built up over these years, and I also write blogs. I've got a Substack. Um, Subs that people that maybe know about that blogs. Um, yeah. It's called Rewriting Your Life. And I do have a website where 
we have all of those things. I'm still calling my work well mother because I started off as well mother when I was doing my pregnancy work. And I felt, well, it's about mothering ourselves and mothering the earth and honoring the mothering and nurturing qualities in ourselves. Whether we're male or female, we can all be mothering to ourselves and mothering to our environment. We didn't talk so much about our environment, but that's important in Chinese medicine that we recognize how much we're influenced by our environment and by the natural rhythms. So especially for those of you living in cities, I'd say take time to be in nature as much as possible, even if it's just your garden or a park or a tree somewhere that really connects us to nature. So well, mother is is my brand to look things on that. That's fantastic, Suzanne. Thank you so much for sharing that very accessible insight into Chinese medicine, women's life cycles, and leaving us with just a few really simple practices that I, I hope you, my listeners, step in and, and have a bit of a go. So I hope maybe you're there brushing your teeth there later today, if you're standing on one leg. <laughs> yes, that's a good idea. Brush your teeth, stand on one leg, and engage your pelvic floor. Yeah, indeed. Well, thank you, Suzanne. Great. Thank you so much. I enjoyed chatting to you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Suzanne and gained some real depth from a world-class teacher into what Chinese medicine thinks and provides to helping us transition through menopause. And if you're listening to this in audio, but would like to see the exercises that Suzanne shared and that I had joined in, never mind on that part of it, but certainly Suzanne shared, uh, you'll get so much more from it because some of the movements she shared really, really found in helping us to actually set our bodies up for a much better menopause transition and fix some of those issues of stiffness, shoulder ache, and the fact that we spend a lot of time sitting down. And next week, have I got a treat for you. So do mark this one in your calendar because Jennifer Chizak, world-renowned science journalist, is joining me to do our almost one-hour conversation, psilocybin and women menopause. So get that one in your diaries. Don't forget that my book, Beyond Hormone, Seven Holistic Ways to Thrive Through Menopause comes out on the 1st of March. I am beyond excited. Uh, There's a link in the bio to get on the wait list. And I hope that you will embrace this book based on the wisdom of all these fantastic podcast guests who I've had on the show for over 200 and close to 220 episodes. Until next week, go well.